Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by the chairman of the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, Charles Altendorf. Really appreciate Charles joining me today. If you are a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined via the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line by Charles Altendorf. Charles, how are you today? I'm doing great, Kelly. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate you coming back on. We were speaking prior to recording, and I forget exactly what type of an episode it was, but I think you joined me for at least a, a segment of an episode about a year ago. Right, yeah. Now I'm trying to remember back, too. I think it, I, I'm imagining it probably had something to do with the lockdowns or something. So, something uh, fun. Some of that that excitement over the past over the past <laughs> few years, all that, that great fun we've been having, huh? Yes, all that great fun, so... <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah. No, I appreciate you coming back on. Charles, um, to reintroduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, if you could, that would be great. Uh, you are you identify yourself as a libertarian. You're, of course, involved in the Libertarian Party of Kentucky. I know you got a couple recent pieces of news that we're going to discuss on, on the show today. But could you reintroduce yourself, Charles, to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, please? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so, yes, I am Charles Allendorf. I... Uh, I, I not only I am a card carrying Big L libertarian. Uh, I got elect. Uh, I joined the party uh, nationally in 2012, and I joined Kentucky's chapter in 2019 when I moved back to Kentucky. I went to high school and college here, but I was living in Indiana for a little while before I moved back. And uh, yeah, I just got elected state chair in February. So uh, it's been a it's been a great rise. Uh, it's uh, great taking over for, for Randall, Daniel. I think you probably had him on your show once or twice. Yep. Uh, so 
Uh, and um, yeah, the big, the other big news is my friend uh, Jeff Sebasta, who's uh, from the Democratic Party, has managed to get us a a seven week stint on the local college radio at the University of Kentucky. So we've been <laughs> we've been on WRFL. We started last week and we'll be going to the first week in May. So uh, if you want to tune in, we'll be in on there from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. And uh, you can tune in on WRFL.FM if you're not in Lexington. So and uh, we also the he's also got somebody who's been recording them. So uh I'll have to find a way to we can periodically drop the recordings of them afterward too. So very cool. Yep. So uh, that's the that's the short spiel. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, what uh, I haven't been on your show in a while, Kelly. Is there any main themes you've been hitting on for a while? You want you want the opinion of the state chair to weigh in? <laughs> um, I am a regional combat sports show for the most part, but of course I do enjoy having libertarian guests on Spike Cohen, uh, guys like that I had Clint Russell on just a few weeks ago. So occasionally I'll have some nice libertarian guests on the show. So when it comes to the political slant for the Kelly Patrick show, I try my best to not make it Team Red versus Team Blue, although we don't, shy, <laughs> you know, I don't shy away from speaking about politics in, in right. instead more of, I guess you would say, an anarcho libertarian uh, or anarcho-capitalist even stance. Uh, I uh, um, I would say when I vote for president, I plan on continuing to vote libertarian. I know the libertarian candidate is not going to win, so it's basically a protest vote, and I have no qualms about that. So some of my Republican friends are constantly trying to convince me to support <laughs> To support liberty-centric people within the Republican Party, which I have no problem doing. Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, guys like that. I think that's great. And if they ever run for president, I will certainly vote for them, not the third-party uh, um, candidate. But in a nutshell, that's the uh, my political stance. Um, <laughs> you, you tell me, Charles, what are your thoughts on that description? Uh, no, I mean, we've definitely worked with people you know i i always say i'll work with just about anybody to accomplish my goals you know and goals i have for the party uh but it's always uh i do always find it humorous you know uh sometimes i'd like to i like to say people sell themselves short right you know when you your friend of course telling you hey support the republican party and you'll get liberty this time well you know <laughs> it's a very small offer they're giving you right you know when i first got into this people said oh you need to switch the republicans you'll make a difference and now the offers just keep getting bigger i get asked all the time if i want to run for this office or that office and stuff you know and it, so it's just it's a funny thing it's a funny thing about really i just think my philosophy as a libertarian and is now the state chair is that I just try and make friends and keep spreading liberty. And as things happen, chips fall where they will, you know. Okay. And I appreciate everyone bearing with us there. I had a little bit of technical difficulty. Um, Charles, you were you were describing um, some about your, your philosophy related to coordinating with other people. I know Jeff Sebesta is a good example of an actual lefty that you're doing the radio <laughs> show with, right? So not only within the Republican Party talking – 
But of course, you know, it, regardless of who, you like to work with different people. But you were also saying, I believe that there's a couple people or maybe someone in particular who will be making the switch over to being a libertarian soon, something along those lines. Yeah, so we already have seven elected officials in the state. We are, we're about to have somebody else switch over. So, you know, it's um, I think the, the, the real vision we have for the future of the party, and I'll even say this isn't me speaking for myself. This is me speaking for all the LPK leadership coming up in this next cycle is we really want to build upon the local wins and make it a very, you know, local oriented party. We we can do so much on such a small plane. You know, uh, we uh, right now we're currently organizing signatures for a special election for a state Senate seat that came open in Winchester. So um, I think that's where, you know, that's sort of where the people struggle with what they, um, I guess, goals and things and how they want to see things happen. You know, obviously it was very exciting to see Johnson get such a large percentage in 2016, Gary Johnson for your listenership. But, you know, at the same time, our lasting impact is going to be when we get these local victories, when we get somebody in office for 20 or 30 years, really expanding the libertarian ideals in a county or a city or something. So that's uh, that's sort of what we do a lot of here. But, uh, you know, obviously, sometimes I get asked to weigh in on what's going on nationally with the LNC. And uh, I, I don't know, I don't really have much to weigh in most of the time. I'm just like, can we just all be a adults here uh, so, so yeah uh you have uh anything else you wanted me to touch on kelly i think um we're interested to see how this medical marijuana bill is going to play out <laughs> okay what are your thoughts on that because uh something interesting about that is on the net i think it was a federal level thing at one point thomas massey had voted against something that would be right. taking steps toward making marijuana uh, legal and at first glance people were like what that must mean he's anti anti marijuana uh, legalization but w- what are your thoughts on that so it's a nuanced topic what are your thoughts on the bill in Kentucky uh, I mean you know some members of our party were pretty excited about it other members of course you know stick to the sort of the very libertarian ideal right that we just we want all the laws of that rolled back we think it's silly you know it's silly to say that this percentage of this is going to throw somebody in jail and this percentage and just not. Or, you know, we need a doctor to write a note for this and not for that, right? So, uh, personally, uh, I I would love to see it rolled back further. And uh, I don't know. I, I wish, I would love to be the optimist. Okay, I'll put it that way. I'd love to be the optimist and say, yeah, this is going to work. Like, this is going to be the first step and it's going to keep rolling in the right direction. And there's not going to be a bunch of, you know, corporate and government interference in this and you know whatever but that's probably not how it's going to play out if we're being realistic is it so (laughs) so maybe in the grand scheme of things this bill is not that big of a deal maybe maybe not it remains to be seen i guess i guess i don't have to be uh, we can't i i will say this i while i am and i i certainly my ideal would be full legalization tomorrow um any one less person that goes to jail trying to treat an ailment with marijuana is a win to me. You know, I mean, we've seen so many lives ruined over people just smoking a plant. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, so we'll see. Okay. Fingers crossed. When it comes <laughs> but to... I don't, oh, I'm sorry. Continue. Oh, yeah. Just the, the last thing I'll add to that is, but I... This isn't somehow going to make me think that the RPK is now soft around marijuana. They're my friends or something, or they don't. <laughs> oh, they don't. The, the, the R yeah. Republican Party of Kentucky? Yeah. Because, you know, they've been stalling this for years. You know, there's been 
every time they do a poll publicly, the majority agrees it should be legal. But they've been stalling it for years. You know, so I guess, you know, they think now we're all going to forget that they've been stalling it for years and that um, Damon Thayer went up and called it a gateway drug and said that, you know, all of his friends died because they started smoking pot and all this other crazy nonsense on television. Or We're supposed to forget that now that they happen to vote for it this cycle. Hmm. It it is interesting to see how um, the political game works specifically inside the state of Kentucky. You mentioned we got seven representatives elected. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but I think Bill Schultz is one of them. Uh, Bill Schultz was an absolute amazing one. He actually was the highest vote getter in his city council race in Crescent Springs. So that's, it's really amazing. Bill's a great guy. Oh, I agree. I had him on the podcast here in person and I would feel comfortable voting for that guy for president. (laughs) I'll tell him you said that. Right? I mean, (laughs) yeah, I, I, I seriously, I mean, and he, he won as a libertarian, which is right. Pretty cool. So yeah, we got that. And then we got a couple of magistrates in Montgomery County and we have a couple other city council folks. We got one out by Oldham County there, Chad Finkenbaum, I believe. So he's been there quite a while, actually. I think this is his third cycle. He's a magistrate in Oldham County? Uh, No, he's a city council person. I forget. It's like a really small, small city. Um, So I'll have to to send you his info later. But his name's Chad Finkenbaum. Very cool. Yeah, I would love to talk to him. So that's the goal is to, to get as many libertarians elected within the state of Kentucky as possible. That's the definitive goal going forward. I would say that and mainly they asked, they, you know, I sort of asked to give kind of like, I don't know, I gave a little Facebook post mission statement. I haven't fully edited the website yet to come up with like, I don't know if I'm supposed to give a president's address of some kind or, you know, I don't, I, 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 I don't know what this ch- I've been a chair of several things before, but, you know, uh, I think the the main mission I have is just we're at the point now where I think it's just a yes, local elected offices, but really just education, educating the voters on what we really stand for and believe and a lot of them find they actually believe a lot of the same things we do. So um, and uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. They there was a news report out, I think it was in January that they ran the registry voter registration rolls again and for the first time in the history of them recording registra- registration vote uh, rolls uh 10% of the Kentucky electorate was not republican or democrat so we are we are seeing movement in that direction so i think it's really just about communicating our message across to people and specifically on the state level why this is kind of a softball question for you probably <laughs> but specifically on the state level why is it a good thing to have more people who support third party candidates or describe themselves as being someone who's not a republican or a, a Democrat, but instead a, a supporter of a third party. Why is that a good thing? Uh, yeah, even if it's not specifically for us as the Libertarian Party, but just in general, not being part of the two main gangs, it forces them to move on issues. You know, that's why I think there is traction on this marijuana issue and the sports gambling issue, because I do think that they are feeling the heat, so to say. But also, you know, they start just taking you for granted. You know, we make a lot of jokes about people sort of remaining in the camps and they I mean, you could see how they take people for granted, right? You know, uh, I, I know a lot of people in East Palestine, Ohio, you know, felt like they were taken for granted by the transportation secretary. And why do they have to care about them? You know, if they just know the votes are going to be every way, every time, then there's no there's no incentive for change or anything like that. So I think 
any type of, that's why I, we sort of, you know, in the LP, we are definitely the largest third party now in the country, but that's why we've always been supporters of our friends and others, you know, because we just, we need some, the, the, the ability to get changed doesn't always, it, it's just the fact they know there's another voice out there, another group of views they have to contend. I mean, plain and simple. I mean, we see it all the time. Like even uh, uh, I like to point to what happened with Nigel Farage in the Brexit in the UK. You know, when he first started that movement, they all told him it was crazy, never getting traction, nothing never go anywhere, right? And he ended up winning. Ted, I mean, his party didn't win, but eventually he forced the government and the populace to move on Brexit. Right. So and that's because they knew that there was a contingent of people that would always be around that would be pro that regardless of where those two old parties, the conservative and labor were on. the issue. Interesting. So I, I like the, the Brexit reference there. So that's a big win, really. For Yeah. For Rodential Farage, it was a big win. You know, now, you know, there's a lot of dispute whether or not it's been positive or negative for the UK. I can't really comment on that. I think it's in the eyes of the beholder. I think the people that were always opposed to it are always going to find what's wrong with it. I mean, people are always for it. We're going to find what they're for it. But at the end of the day, if I were a citizen of the UK, <laughs> I would prefer my laws were made closer to me and not by some other organization. <laughs> you know? uh, but that's definitely the libertarian to me coming out. So, <laughs> so you have been a card carrying member of the Libertarian Party since I think you said 2012. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Prior to that, how would you have described yourself politically? Uh, actually, I, I kind of lean progressive prior to that. And that's actually kind of I find myself kind of unique in Kentucky. In other states, we do get more people who come from the Democrats uh, sometimes, but I'm pretty unique in Kentucky that I've come from the progressive movement into the Libertarian Party. But the part that I always uh, disagreed with my progressive friends on was the economics. So... <laughs> well, then... then I, what's the problem, then? <laughs> there is no problem. Yeah. Well, with them, is that they, they're just... In my opinion, and I'm still great friends with many progressive Democrats. In fact, one of our biggest helpers when we were in a, our infancy as LPKY was Gatewood Gallup, who was kind of a progressive Democrat breakaway figure. He who got a, who scored a bunch of points. Uh, he got like 25% in gubernatorial election with the Reform Party back in the day. But uh, my, my my whole point in contention with them is that they're just idealists. They think that eventually they're going to get the right set of people in charge. And they're going to fix these these glaring issues they call, you know, like inequality or, you know, corruption or any of these things. Right. And the, the problem is with the libertarian against the progressive socialist is that the libertarian agrees on most of those problems, but thinks the issues is the government is causing those problems. Right. <laughs> like, And that's sort of where the where I was converged with them. And then I found out there was actually a libertarian party. I was like, well, this is the home for me. You know, <laughs> so. But yeah, that's the thing. It's mainly, I just, I think the, the, the more power you give to an organization like the government, then you're, you're asking for more to be abused. That's my general worldview. And I think that's generally most libertarians' worldview. And unfortunately, the progressives think that the more power will cause better things to happen. And I just don't think that's true. So you articulated your criticism of a common progressive type stance on things. How would right. you address a criticism of maybe a more traditional Republican, at least in 2023, what would your description of a Republican be? I know you've got some, uh, I'm sure, valid criticisms of your run-of-the-mill Republican today, but how would you describe that? Well, 
that's a little bit tricky now because there's definitely two factions in the Republican Party that are sort of fighting for control, right? You have, well, I mean, possibly even three if we're talking about Thomas Massey and Rand Paul being the third sort of liberty, I guess, former Tea Party movement wing of the Republican Party. And then you have uh, you have the old guard, the old GOP, Mitch McConnell types, right? You know, who have their, who really, they, they still kind of hang their hat on some type of idealist moral conservatism, which, you know, personally, I actually, I am, I go to the Church of Christ. I'm a churchgoer. Uh, you know, so my personal lifestyle probably could be con- described as conservative, but I don't believe in using the government to enforce that on me. Hmm. And I don't think it's, I think it's insane. I mean, <laughs> because <laughs> what where do you draw the line with your with your adherence to uh, some sort of you know that's why this country was founded for religious freedom because people couldn't agree on what was the proper code of moral ethics in Europe right you know like that's why the puritans came here you know they were getting persecuted for disagreements with the church of england you know and then uh, you had a lot of lutherans come over here too because they were getting disagreements with various german clerics so you know, it's um, it's weird to see somebody, in my opinion, and I, I don't, I think they genuinely, I should say progressives and Republicans, I, I, I honestly believe they both are operating out of a place of, uh, they're trying to do what they think is right. I don't think that they're genuinely bad at, few of them are, okay, a lot of, a lot of the elected class kind of is, but general run-of-the-mill people, no, I don't think so. I just think they're very idealistic in their worldviews. So it's weird for me to see like a old-school establishment Republican who's a moral conservative come up here and tell me that we live in America and American values are great, but hey, uh, we don't believe really in religious freedom. And it's kind of like, uh, have you read the Constitution? Have you read what our founding fathers wrote? You know? well, who have you heard saying they don't believe in religious freedom? Well, they, they don't normally phrase it that way. I should okay. put it and a that's little okay. bit differently. Yep. Yeah. Oh, they, they phrase it more like Christian conservative values built this country, mm. which is not necessarily wrong. It's just what Christian values are you talking, right? Because if you're saying it's my Baptist worldview, well, no, that's not correct, right? Or even you look at the Founding Fathers, for example, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin believed in God, but they were deists. They weren't, you know, they, they weren't regular churchgoers. They weren't evangelicals, right? So, you know, it's, um, you get yourself in danger when you try and generalize that sort of thing. And that's that's why I think it's very bad to make laws about morality, right? So, for instance, a lot of t- traditional conservatives have been anti-marijuana all these years. Well, how can you argue to me that marijuana being legal is somehow more dangerous to people than the the painkiller move that happened, right? You can't. It's a, it's illogical on its face, but they will argue it to your face till they're blue in the face, right? Because they believe somehow it's morally bankrupt to smoke marijuana, even though a lot of them drink, right? And it's Or use painkillers or all these other things. So, it's just it's not logically consistent and that's probably really where the big difference between anyone and i've actually a lot of people i've met from other countries and even people like sebesta have said that they really think that the libertarians are probably the most logically consistent people but that also gets us in trouble sometimes too because then we're also pretty honest about it and sometimes maybe it would be better if we <laughs> sugarcoat quite so bad, right but yeah so that that's what i find logically inconsistent with uh, the conservative moral Republican of the older guard. Now, the the Tea Party people, I, I I love and admire and respect them, and I actually got to meet Rand Paul, and he's a really nice guy. Okay, but I just think they're fighting lost cause. I don't think they'll ever be able to take over the Republican Party. I think they can move it, 
you know, but every time it seems like they're about to get a pretty good swing, it swings back to the moral conservatives, right? You know, and it's nothing even personal. I don't even think it's not that they're trying. Like, we constantly get people that used to be in that movement and come over to us, right? Because they're like, I've tried for 20 years, and it just never fully goes that way. So I, I think they have the best uh, heart at mind. I just, I don't think they're ever going to get what they want. They'll always get little minor changes here and there, you know? They'll get, they'll get people outraged at Twitter, and then Elon Musk will take over Twitter, and we'll see all these files about how the FBI tried to censor all these people on Twitter, right? But they'll never take away that power from the FBI, right? They'll never come in and, like, completely gut the FBI, right? So you're always going to get minor incremental change with them. And that being said, I don't even know if the Libertarian Party could get more than minor incremental change if we had big success all of a sudden. But I, I think we're more dedicated to keeping pushing than the Republican Party is, even when there's Tea Partiers trying to push. So, and then the final person, the final group I want to talk about is the, the Trump wing mm. of the Republican Party. So you have establishment thus far. You've said establishment like Mitch McConnell. You have guys like Rand Paul right. and Thomas Massey, maybe Mike Lee. That's a small group. Those, so those right. are the two parties thus far. And then the third and final of the Republican or the conservative side right now is the, the MAGA people. And they're, they're a different breed. They are a breed that I don't think is, they're not as hung on morality as the conservative Mitch McConnell wing of the party, but they're definitely, it's almost like the only thing they care about is winning at all costs. And, they, and that's when it starts getting kind of crazy. And don't get me wrong, like I, there are certain policies that I agreed with with Trump's people, and there's certain policies I disagree, right? I really like the middle class tax reform that happened under Trump. That reduced my taxes instantly overnight. You know, without a doubt. But they, they, it's like it's winning at all costs to them. They will do anything. It doesn't matter how shady it is or if it goes against any principles they had 10 minutes before, right? And they just want to win so badly. And I, I understand winning is an addiction, right? Especially for somebody like Trump who, you know, he's been maligned for several years and managed to come out and score the big win against all of his rich friends. He used to insult him for several years. I get it, man. I mean, deep down, that's what that's about, right? about oh i showed you well okay you showed them now what are you going to do with that right you you had a chance to really actually drain the swamp and you hired people like bolt right so <laughs> so that's where i stand with those kind of people is you know i could that's sort of something that we have in we have in the libertarian party too because we we have people who i call kind of kind of lean sort of that way like with the with some of the issues that maga people will tout but where it always hits the rubber meets the road is that we're just we're not that obsessed with winning or we don't worship we don't typically worship any of our people like on a demagoguery level, you know, or, I mean, we all like Ron Paul. We all like Ayn Rand. We all like all these other kind of classic figures. But at the end of the day, it's more about the principles to us than, than, you know, just the winning or being on the winning team. Right. And that that's kind of scary. I don't really know what to do with that because I, I do agree with them on some issues, but then like, I feel awkward. Like, should I tell you where I disagree with you? Should I just let you roll on in the corner? You know, like, and uh, are you going to keep winning within the Republican party? We don't know. Right. You know, I mean, I think they're getting a little momentum again because I think the Democrats are making the biggest mistake in the world trying to arrest Trump. That's that's a really dumb mistake, in my opinion. <laughs> but I I don't I don't see how that's long term long term sustainable. Because uh, I'll, I'll ask you, Kelly, if you met a what would you say is a guiding principle of a Trump supporter other than just following what Trump says? <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> a, a good answer in in all seriousness, and I won't vote for Trump. Um, I right. Did, I, I I did vote for him in 2016. I did, and then hey, I, I don't blame. Yeah, I yeah. did. I, I bought in. They yeah. were going to drain the swamp. I did not in 2020. I definitely will not in 2024. So full disclosure on that. But <laughs> I, I'd say a guiding principle could be it is different than the you know uh, institution of the presidency has been every single term prior to Trump. So, I mean, it's at least a little different. I heard someone recently say, do you think Trump will pardon you know Julian Assange or Snowden or something? Probably not, but right. you can say uh, DeSantis will definitely not, right? Right. So there's at least a little bit more of a, a wiggle room with the, the chaos that Trump brings. Like the chaos theory involved, right? I think to an ultimate level. And I will say this. The one thing I, because I got a lot of questions from my European and Canadian friends about Trump. I always get questions about frankly. And I always answer them, I, I say with a straight face. Trump is the most American president we've had since Andrew Jackson. He is he is 100% as American as it gets, for better or for worse, right? So, and that drives the elites crazy because I think deep down, a lot of the elites in our country wish we weren't American. They, they, would, they would rather be more like the rest of the world. So there is that with him. But there's just some things I just, you know, and it's really just a personal thing. It's not anything like against Trump people or the MAGA movement or anything. It's more like I just personally have a line philosophically I can't cross with some of those things. And so it'll be interesting to see. I don't know how much support he has this time. I, unfortunately, I think, generally speaking, election history, reset elections never go well for the person who lost the first time. So... <laughs> He's got a lot of ground to make up there. But then again, you know, the other thing is with Biden is he's just so old, man. <laughs> it's not even anything. I mean, obviously, I disagree with a lot of his policies, too. But he is so freaking old. Like, is that even a real him up there? Is that a robot, man? <laughs> um, so. Charles, I should ask, are you doing okay on time? You have a little bit more time for me? I have a little bit more time for you. Let's see how much we in. Yeah, I got a little bit. Okay. Now we're going to get into the real exciting um, <laughs> okay. meat and potatoes that everybody wants to hear about. What is the libertarian stance on all this craziness that's going on with schools and uh, gender ideology and you know if you talk to a republican you'll get one version of what's right. happening and you talk to a democrat and it's like i mean complete they're two completely different versions of what is even occurring right now in our public schools across the country not only public schools private schools also um but what right. are your thoughts on that and uh, if you could articulate like what the difference between the, the the version on the right is versus the left and then what's the correct position of course the libertarian stance <laughs> Well, I think the right would have you believe that the schools are being the right. I, I, I try to steer clear of right and left terms, but I, I was because I honestly don't see myself as right or left. I kind of see myself as uh, supporting whatever is less government involvement in my life, regardless of where it comes from. But um, no, so what I think the conservative movement would tell you is going on in schools is they're taken over by a, a, a ideology that will corrupt your children and turn them into people all robots you know um very much like they, they like to point to this thing called cultural marxism which is a theory that you know emerged from germany in the 30s and they're claiming they all copied this marxist ideology and tried to break down all barriers of class religion and race and everything and really try and mold people into 
you know, all just robots. I mean, take a number type people, you know, <laughs> that and it's and that creates a very destructive group think and that we and you can really point to a lot of examples where that group think has been problematic for people. Right. Like I hate use that word, but, uh, you know, like, for, you know, Jordan Peterson had a lot of trouble at the University of Toronto. Right. Because his views are a little bit out there for them. You know, so whenever you go against them, they will crucify you. Right. And the fear, which I think is somewhat legitimate from the conservatives, is that if all the schools do that, eventually there will be no normal thinking people left. There will be no, you know, all be forced to abide. Whereas um, the left will have you believe, or the, the Democrats or the I guess the progressive, well, I don't know, because I definitely know some progressives that are against against a lot of things being taught as well. But I think the 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 regular education class, that's what I like to call those people, the education class, will have you believe that the conservatives are just holding their feet, digging their heels in and hanging on to things that just don't exist in the modern world, that holding on to these old gender and race norms and everything that don't exist anymore. This is the 21st century, and you can't be holding on to women are going to be stay-at-home moms, and men are going to, you know, and everybody's going to go to church. These are all things that don't matter. And really, the libertarian solution to this problem isn't anything all that radical. It's something that even Thomas Sowell was talking about in the seven, early 70s. And that's school choice. You should be able to choose where your child goes to school and what kind of education they get. And, um, you know, some places have done interesting things with that. You know, Milwaukee gives out vouchers to all of its school children. And, you know, they talked about a similar thing here in Kentucky. The teachers union very much hated that idea. <laughs> so um, they, uh, but at the end of the day, I think that's the right route to go is more education options for parents. And then they can decide how they want their children educated. So right now in the libertarian movement, a lot of homeschooling is happening. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of other th- other sort of like smaller grassroots private education things that are happening that may not have been expensive as expensive as they were previously. So the the main thing I think that could, if if there's a legislation that I think could help this problem, I really think it is just not making laws that prevent people from seeking alternative forms of education. And we're lucky in Kentucky, you can homeschool your kids, and like I said, there's definitely been some movement on the voucher front. So do you say we're lucky that you can homeschool your kid? And I'm not trying to be uh combative but why why are we lucky that we can do that because in some other states they're trying to block it oh they're trying to say okay keep your child at home you are ruining them for the rest of their life you're handicapping they need to be they they need the socialization with the other children in schools which you know (laughs) the counter that always says have you seen your schools Have you seen all the bullying and fighting and guns and knives? and <laughs> So that's how I take on it. I think that if you allow more options, generally a more happy medium emerges. You know, that's somewhere in between uh, The Handmaid's Tale and well, I'm trying to think of what a right wing comparison would be for that. Uh, somewhere in between The Handmaid's Tale and 1984. Somewhere that's not either one of those. <laughs> Because that's really what they want you to believe, right? If one side takes over, they want you to believe it's one of those two alternatives. <laughs> How would you respond to someone who says the Republicans right now are banning books? 
Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not really the Republican Party that's banning books. Now, a lot of these people who are asking for these books to be removed from some of these schools are definitely conservative people. But these people are coming to local school boards and asking for this, right? So you have to ask yourself... If you want, what what hill are you willing to die on for something to be included in a public school library, right? Like, do you know, do I want, do you want to be the person that dies on the hill for, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a book that's been most recently banned. But, you know, a lot of these books that have been banned, I mean, they're pretty, pretty openly explicit sexual material, right? So you got to ask yourself, do you want to be the person that's going to the local school board fighting for there to be a book on there about a guy, you know, sucking on another guy? What? Is that the hill you want to die on? Because, you know, I don't think I would fight for that that's not the hill i want to die on. but you know maybe for you that's important i don't know but you're probably going to have to find more people that agree with you on that one in your local community if that's what you're concerned about <laughs> I, i'm just trying to repeat some of the the <laughs> things i have heard coming from the left which yeah. baffle me yeah. because book right Banning books or, you know, uh, banning books does not sound like what the Republicans are really even trying to do. I disagree with public schools in entirety. I think they should be abolished. I I would much rather have them be non-existent. But if we're being honest, the Republican side or the right, whatever, seems to be trying to get certain books removed from the local schools. um, Just from the schools, not banning books. I think that's a, a gross misrepresentation. Well, and the thing that's funny about that sort of criticism is it's not like they haven't lobbied for certain other books to be removed as well. Like I, I had a, I knew a person who was in um, a master's person in library sciences, right? And they, they wanted to be able to get the green light to put a sticker on every book that questioned uh, that questioned the validity of vaccines. And this was before Corona even happened. This was this was before that. And they wanted to put us be able to put a sticker on there calling it not real science. Now, how is that somehow less extreme? I, you can't tell me that doesn't seem more extreme than what we're talking about here with this book with a book with some dude sucking another dude off on it being in front of fourteen year olds, right? I mean, but that's not, they don't ever argue from a place of, uh, I, I don't, that's one thing where I think uh, if we're talking about comparison versus the conservatives and the progressives, or I don't even know, I, I don't think those are progressives that are arguing. It's more like your garden variety liberal, maybe that's arguing this stuff. And it's like, I don't ever think they're the, the garden variety liberal is arguing from a fair, they, they never seem to be arguing fair, which is very bizarre. I mean, you know, like, oh, the Republicans are banning books, but hey, there's books I would go ban in a heartbeat. Like, you know, <laughs> so it's a very strange thing. Another thing I have heard is the Republican Party or the Republicans in Florida and across the country are trying to make it illegal to be gay. Yeah, now that is another trickier one. And that's one where, you know, some of the things they've said and done, I probably wouldn't have said and done, you know. But at the end of the day, again, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, you know, with these these shows and these drag shows and things, you got to ask yourself what you're, like I said, it's on the local level, what you're willing to die, die on a hill on, right? What's your main issue is. So you're willing to die on, die on a hill pretend protecting the ability of somebody to go in the public courthouse, dress like that and do a show in front of four-year-olds, right? I mean, again, very strange what your priorities are there. It's very strange. And, you know, that's part of America. You're going to, we're such a large country that we're going to have areas where some cultural norms are accepted and some aren't. And, you know, Adam Kokesh's answer always was uh, when he was running for president was, 
let Florida be, or let California be California, let Texas be Texas, you know? <laughs> so unfortunately, I think both Republicans and Democrats don't do the best job of that. But, uh, you know, I don't see it as necessarily Republicans are out to get gay people because they have plenty of gay people in their movement, too. I mean, during the Trump era, you know, Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos was a big figure and everybody knew he was openly gay. Right. Uh, so I think it's just they they don't like some of the over the top debaucherous stuff. And I think it's really weird that some people want to defend that happening in the public square, you know, or the public courthouse or whatever. Like, you know, I personally, I would not take my kid to one of those things. I wouldn't want them to see one of those things, right? You know, now if they're 16 and they're starting to think about those things, that's something different. But, you know, my kids are four and six, man. I don't want them seeing that when they go into the local library, right? Uh, but, you know, it's, um, if they're really about those things, why, what was, what was wrong with the doing them in private clubs before? That's what everybody used to do when I was in college. You, you, If you wanted to see that sort of thing, you'd go to a private club, <laughs> you know? So it's very strange. It's like both sides. Uh, and I do think both the Republicans and Democrats are guilty of this. They're both trying to, well, they call it the culture war, right? They're both trying to enforce a monopoly on culture over the entire United States, which is just wrong. And probably will fail because we're too big of a country for that kind of thing. Like I got into this argument with Canadians, with some Canadians the other day. They were trying to say that America was part of the Anglosphere, which, yes, we speak English, but our heritage is not really exclusively British, right? Like you can't, you know, there's just so much to it. There's so much of this country. And I can say that because I studied geography in college. So, you know, I, I don't see it as uh, one monolith culture. And I think it's kind of weird that anybody does. Interesting. It's definitely for a country of our size. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I know we are, although we're still predominantly white, um, mm -hmm. we are a, a very diverse country. Right. We're one of the most diverse countries in the world. And we're third in population. So, you know, you're just you're going to see a lot of different things. And that's okay. You know, as long as you give people the option to be able to move somewhere else, they don't like those cuts. And that's what we've done as a country for several years. And it's worked out pretty well. But apparently there's, you know, there's people in both parties that feel like that's not acceptable enough anymore. <laughs> you know, and that's where I as a libertarian am have to very much disrespect, respectfully disagree. <laughs> So the perfect anarcho answer would be to abolish the Department of Education entirely, uh, destroy right. all public schools. If a little community wants to create a public school in their little right. their little city, and and right. everybody you know has the choice to live there or not, or you know it's more right. of a, a decentralized thing, then libertarians or anarcho libertarians would not be opposed to that. But the right. Department of Education, everything about it, uh, really should be abolished absent of that which isn't very realistic to be honest you would say school choice is a more maybe pragmatic or a a, a more possible outcome that could be beneficial for everyone. Yeah, I think once you start inserting some school choice, you move in the direction where departments of education start having less power, which is good because we've seen all the negative cons consequences of too much department of education power, right? You know, this mass stuff, trying to mask kindergartens or, you know, trying to... <laughs> Uh, trying to, you know, enforce certain types of rules on people or the standardized test score stuff, right? You know, and it's funny because these are the same people telling us that they're the tolerant people, yet it seems like they're the ones trying to do a lot of intolerant things. <laughs> so, so yeah, I... 
but yeah, school choice would really move in that direction. And it's something that can be done without a heavy political left, in my opinion. Okay. The Gary Johnson, Nicholas Sarwark version of the Libertarian Party had great success when it comes to numbers in 2016. I think they got a record high vote. Does that sound right? Yes. We got our highest percentage in 2016. Okay. National, yes. Presidential election. Since then, um, the Mises Caucus has taken over. Uh, they did what they needed to do, and they've taken over the National Party. That would be mm-hmm. Michael Heiss. I'm a caucus member. I should point that out. You're a Mises Caucus member. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not opposed to the Mises Caucus. I'm I'm kind of just curious about you know how everything's going. I I would I you know I'm also a Mises Caucus member for what it's worth. Right. Um. So they took over the party. Now some of the people who have been critical of right, the yeah. Mises caucus takeover point to specific numbers that have declined. I think donations, maybe revenue for the Libertarian National Party, things like that have declined dramatically since the new regime has taken over. Does that sound accurate? That's that's the criticism, yes. Okay. However, some could argue that there are difficult, it's a very difficult thing to quantify when it comes to impacting the culture. You know, you have Dave Smith going on to Tim Pool or even Clint Russell maybe going on to Tim Pool or Dave Smith on Joe Rogan. And you have, uh, what was that, Russell Brand? Who is he with? Yeah. Um, who did he talk with recently? I forget who it was, but he sounds... Yeah. I'm sorry, who did he talk with? It was someone on MSNBC. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he's somebody on MSNBC. But I, yeah. I think a, a lot of potential traction is being made popular uh, uh, through the use of alternative media platforms, things like that. So uh, could you touch a little bit, Charles, being that you are the chair for the state of Kentucky, um, <laughs> sure. uh, on what it is I'm describing and is the current state of the Libertarian National Party, is it on an uptick or a downtick? Uh, so yeah, uh, I'll first address the criticism about sort of like shrinking numbers or whatever. And uh, that has always been cyclical. There's always been peaks and valleys in the Libertarian Party. Uh, if you really want to find out more about that, my friend Ken Mullman, who is also in this party, who used to be national vice chair and even chaired the last convention after he had to step in when uh, Whitney Bailu had a health issue. Uh, he'll show you data from it where it always cycles up and down. So this is nothing unique, uh, these these numbers. What is unique to the situation is there is been, there has been a, everybody's moving to alternative media, right? There's been a dramatic decline in mainstream media and mainstream numbers. So we really don't know some of these things, right? We don't really have a good idea of quantifying some of these things. Now, I'll say, you know, I, uh, I'm i willing to, even though I am a Mises Caucus member, I, I, I govern this affiliate for anybody. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't just do this for all my friends. I like my friends. I have a lot of friends in the Mises Caucus, but I have friends who aren't in the Mises Caucus. And we have a very good relationship in this affiliate. But I think the biggest thing that's the problem is people just, they get in a set way or they get set on one issue and they take it personal, you know? So for instance, there, we had some people depart over the removal of the abortion plank, right? Well, you know, if that was the only issue you cared about the party, maybe this party wasn't the place for you to begin with, you know, (laughs) because there's a lot more the party than one issue uh so 
there's um that's how I'd sort of address that. Now, I get that people like the cameras and they liked having been seen with that much of a percentage and that much media attention. But the, at the end of the day, the longest term last for the party is going to be what we score locally. It always will be. And there were definitely some local missteps during that time period. So, you know, yeah, we may only get one or two percent next time we do a presidential election, depending upon who we get or how well known they are. But if we keep growing our local numbers to have more locally elected people, over time we'll eventually just become a party that's always like the third parties that exist in the UK and Canada and other places. So, you know, I get it. I get the frustration. But you have to remember also these people who who are the loudest critics or sort of the most upset about this change are the people who lost the most from it. So just a, qui- gonna say, just a coincidence, right? Yeah. So they're going to say everything everything under the sun and i don't really know what to do if you come up to me and say well you need to bring back that plank in the platform or i'm never joining the lp again well i can't really do anything right <laughs> you know the majority of the party voted the way it fought you know and the reason why that i believe the mises caucus was, was so successful is because it has been a bottom up it's been people in local towns making their own libertarian affiliates and getting local people elected and that's really where i think the future holds for the party okay very good um ex- Explanation. I think this is all good stuff. If someone's interested and they're listening and maybe they are currently a Republican or currently a Democrat and they are, you know, their, their brain's starting to move in a different way. They're thinking, huh, maybe the Republicans and the Democrats aren't actually what's best for the future of our country. I don't know. Maybe someone happens to be thinking that. Yes. Uh, on the state level, what would you encourage them to do? And then also uh, uh, on the national level also, I'm, I'm interested in, in how you'd handle that question. What would you encourage anyone listening to do if they're interested in uh, uh, contributing to the future of their society in a positive way outside of the duopoly, the Republicans and the Democrats? Well, first thing I would do, since I always get these questions about what we actually believe, is I would go read both of the platforms because a bunch of libertarians got together and voted on the state and national platforms, and that is what the majority of us agreed upon, which if you can imagine what it's like trying to get a libertarians to agree on anything, that is a humongous feat, and I very much respect both of those platforms. <laughs> uh, second of all, um, if you're looking to get involved specifically in Kentucky, uh, we have our website, lpky.org, and we have our events listed on there. And we also have a Facebook and Twitter feed that are very active. And if you DM there, we will get back to you. Um, now, we have some county affiliates throughout the state that are doing a lot locally. So, for instance, our Warren, account, our Warren County affiliate's pretty big. Our Boone and, Kent and Campbell County affiliate's pretty big. We got some in uh, Clark County and Scott County. And our Oldham County affiliate's pretty big, as well as Henry County. So, there's... There's definitely regional ways for you to get involved. Nationally, uh, you know, I uh, you can get involved if you want to. There's always going to be need there, you know, especially with this presidential election coming up. If you have a particular candidate you want to go out and stump for and help, by all means, do it. But I generally, what I do with that kind of stuff is I always, I'm always going to lean towards organizing locally. And then after a few years, somebody will rise up nationally, you know, and that's sort of how I do things. But some people like to get involved.
well nationally. I just, for me, I get, I, I have to exercise extra patience because at that point, there's a lot of voices in the room and I don't really know the background of everybody, you know? So that's why I get kind of overwhelmed. But, you know, if you have a particular candidate, you know, I, uh, I did kind of help a little bit with Adam Kokesh and then I had some issue with, uh, with Adam Kokesh. And then, um, what? I, uh, <laughs> you had, uh, did he seem to be erratic at all? Uh, yes, just a tiny bit erratic. <laughs> not, not what I was looking for. I was looking for a little less erraticism. Okay. But so yeah, huh. I mean, there's there's always ways to get involved, and there's always people help. I would really just say, you know, if you're going to get involved nationally, really pick some type of issue or person you're willing to go to mat for, because you will get lost in the void if you try and take on everything nationally. But honestly. You could do the most good, in my opinion, just starting locally. Just starting, you know, if you're already in where we have a local affiliate, just helping them. I mean, half of what I, half of what my job has been working up to chairs, been helping to remove the bureaucracy for people to be better involved. <laughs> so filling out the paperwork, getting the paperwork filled out, getting all this other stuff filled out. So, um, so that's really where we have our biggest impact. But yeah, you know, nationally, they'll always take your money and take your time. <laughs> better who's doing it. We've had some people... Or like I think uh, Day Smith or Spike Cohen goes out here in 2024. There'll definitely be people from around here that'll be helping them out. Would you say Dave Smith and Spike Cohen are the two main guys who who would maybe be the presidential candidate in 2024? If you had to guess, boy, I, I still don't know what exactly is going on there. They definitely probably have the most support, in my opinion, but. It's really, you know, I, they still have a little time to choose. It's just kind of, you kind of wish somebody would just choose, <laughs> but I don't blame them. It's hard to put your name out there as our presidential nominee, you know? <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I do think it'll be less of a cluster than it was last time. I think we had like 20 people last time. I don't think that'll happen, but we'll see. Yeah. I, I was expecting Hornberger to be the candidate last time and out of nowhere some joe jorgensen is i'm like you know that just caught me completely off guard i think that is an issue that is one where you know we have our ranked choice voting and she was definitely she was she wasn't really a lot of people's first choice but she was a lot of people's second choice and that's why i think she ended up did you vote for joe jorgensen uh yes in my straw poll i did she was she was my second choice Okay. I voted for Cover's choice. Kokesh was your first choice, but then for actual president, did you vote? Did you show up and vote for Jorgensen? Not show up and vote there, but uh, the majority of our group, I believe, voted for her as second, and a lot of them voted for Hohenberger as first. So okay. okay, but nobody was really that upset with her when she won. Now, I, I had some disagreements with the way her campaign tried to run things here locally. That's part of what moved me into the Mises caucus. So within, so. The, st within the state of Kentucky, the supporters of the Joe Jorgensen campaign did some things that you disagree with. Yeah. And it, there's not, I don't really have a ton of hard feelings, I guess, but I just, uh, mainly it was they didn't call me and consult when they did things here locally. And I was the regional rep at the time and I would preferred that they had called, you know, just a simple call. You know, uh, so that's where I think they kind of dropped the ball a little bit. But it's it's OK. You know, we live and we learn and we move on. Um, but they shouldn't be surprised then if the Mises caucus suddenly has a lot more local organization. If you know what I mean. Sure. <laughs> Charles, I really appreciate you joining me on the show today. Um, if someone's interested in following specifically you, I, I, I know you're active on some social medias, but if someone wants to follow you, Charles, how can they do so? Uh, yeah. Uh, so I am on. I am on Facebook. I'm Charles Julian Altendorf. I'm on Twitter at Charles Altendo one. And, uh, 
I also, you can tune in to me on WRFL for the next six weeks from 12 to noon uh, on Thursdays. So, yeah, there's plenty of ways to find me. Uh, you can't, you, it's pretty hard not to find me, probably. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, feel free to reach out. You know, sometimes I've, it's getting a little slower for me to respond sometimes because I actually get more people reaching out than I used to. I feel, still feel free to reach out. I will try, I will get back to you as soon as I can. All right. Well, Charles, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Charles. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Kelly. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon.